0: This morning, we are going to be in the book of Ruth. There's so much packed into this little book, we can only scratch the surface in one week. What we're going to look at today, first, is what was going on outside the scope of the book of Ruth in Israel. We're going to scan some verses in Judges, just to get an idea of what was going on. And then we're going to look at the character of the key individuals in the book of Ruth. And what I want you to take away from today is this. I want you to take away what it looks like to live righteously in spiritually dark days. What it looks like to live righteously in spiritually dark days. I want you to see the righteous character of Ruth and Boaz, and I want to encourage you to exemplify that character today in our current spiritually dark days. We're going to cover two points in our outline today. The first one is a dark day, and number two is a righteous remnant. A dark day and a righteous remnant. We are going to start today by reading the book of Ruth together, so turn with me now there if you would. And I want to read the book in its entirety, so as we go through and touch on the character of the individuals, you have the whole setting of the book in front of you. You have the whole narrative in front of you, and it's fresh in your mind. So Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reaper's, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, "'Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers.' So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "'Now listen, my daughter, "'do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, "'but keep close to my young women. "'Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. "'Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? "'And when you are thirsty, "'go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn.' Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the fields until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, "'but arose before one could recognize another. "'And he said, "'Let it not be known "'that the woman came to the threshing floor. "'And he said, "'Bring the garment you are wearing "'and hold it out.' "'So she held it, "'and he measured out six measures of barley "'and put it on her. "'Then she went into the city, "'and when she came to her mother-in-law, "'she said, "'How did you fare, my daughter?' "'Then she told her "'all that the man had done for her, "'saying, "'These six measures of barley he gave to me, "'for he said to me, "'You must not go back empty-handed "'to your mother-in-law. "'She replied,' Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witness this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him the name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of perez Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashan, Nashan fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. As many of you know or may have noticed, there's a lot going on in the book of Ruth that we are not going to cover today. So if I just gloss over something, it's because it's beyond the scope of this message because there's so much that we have to just gloss over. But let's get into our first point, a dark day. The events recorded in the book of Ruth take place, as verse 1 says, in the days when the judges ruled and there was a famine in the land. The author gives us some good indicators here as to when the book of Ruth takes place, when the narrative is going on, and it is during the time of judges. And we have the book of Judges to look at, except in the book of Judges there is no famine explicitly mentioned. Okay, therefore, we don't exactly know what time period of Judges this takes place. But based on the genealogies, the number of generations from Boaz to David, we can guess that it is sometime between the judgeship of Gideon in Judges 6-8 to eight, to the judgeship of Jair in Judges 10-13. to 13. Whether or not it was during the time of Gideon, Jair, or somewhere in between, those were some dark days if you read the book of Judges. And we're going to scan a few verses from the book of Judges quickly just to get a feel for what was going on outside the scope of the narrative of Ruth. So flip back with me just a few pages to the book of Judges, and you can stop at chapter 2. Judges chapter 1 opens with a recounting of the rest of the tribes of Israel conquering the lands to receive their inheritance. Beyond what the book of Joshua records, the rest of the Israelites conquered lands to receive their inheritance. Many of the tribes, they did not drive out the people as God had commanded when they conquered them. They wanted some of them to be their slaves. They didn't want to fight the ones that looked too hard, so they just left them be. And the result of one generation's failure to obey God resulted in the next generation straying even farther. Look at Judges chapter 2. We're going to read verses 10 to 12. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, that is Joshua's generation. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. This is an introductory statement which sets the tone for the book of Judges. And it is followed by repeating patterned statements of the like. The first repetition is found in chapter 3, verse 7. It says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. After it is recorded that the people did evil, then God would judge them. He would bring judgment upon them. They would cry out to him and he would raise up a judge to save them, to deliver them. That's the pattern. Chapter 3, verse 12. The people again did what was evil. Then God brought hardship on them. They cried out to the Lord. That's the pattern. Chapter 4, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Chapter 8, verse 33. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal bear their God. Chapter 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And finally, the book ends with chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Notice the change in phraseology there, which starts in chapter 17. From the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, that changes to everyone did what was right in his own eyes. These two phrases essentially mean the same thing, but there's a sense in which everyone's thinking changed. There's a sense in which God was forgotten and everyone did what they thought was right. The people had forsaken God for so long, they didn't even know what was right or wrong in his eyes anymore. They just did whatever they wanted. The phrase, there was no king in Israel, only reinforces the fact that God had been forgotten. The people wanted someone to lead them, whom they could follow, someone that they could see and hear for themselves, that would issue decrees on what was right or wrong. They wanted a physical person, and you see that at the beginning of Samuel. The book of Judges closes with that phrase, There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes leaving us with a sense that God has not just been turned away from, he has been forgotten. God's approval or disapproval didn't even enter into their minds. And we should be left with that sense as we turn the page to the book of Ruth. So those were some dark days in which the events of Ruth took place. During a dark time of rampant idolatry and sexual immorality, where Yahweh has been cast aside completely, as if he never existed. Sounds a bit like our day today, doesn't it? Just briefly, as we get back into the book of Ruth, you can flip back to chapter 1. Before I get into the characters, there's that issue of Ephrathites. Okay, that can be confusing. It says that they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. That word Ephrathites just refers to Bethlehem. Bethlehem used to be called Ephrathah. Okay, that can be confusing. It might sound like their ethnicity. They were Jews who were from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem used to have the name Ephrathah, so they're still referred to as Ephrathites. So just so you're not confused by that. But after we scan the book of Judges, we get the sense of the day that Ruth is set. They were some spiritually dark days. And this brings us to point number two, a righteous remnant. As you read the Old Testament, Amid dark days, much like the days of the judges, there is always a small remnant of people whom God has kept who remain faithful to him. Ruth and Boaz are among that small remnant of their day. So let's dig into these people a little bit as they are our examples to follow. I'm going to give a brief overview of the characters, and then we're going to start looking at their personal character in the narrative. The first character we're introduced to is Elimelech, and while he seems very unimportant to mention, the author places him as the representative head of the family and the first person that we're introduced to. To most, it seems as though Elimelech's name could be left out altogether, and it wouldn't change anything, but that is not true. The author is trying to get our attention here, and he does so by giving us Elimelech's name. The name Elimelech means To whom God is king. To whom God is king. And in the Bible, people's character is often connected to their name. Their name and character are one and the same, they're associated with each other. So, for Elimelech, God was king according to his name and according to the way he lived, as we will see later. God was his king. And remember what we just read in Judges. This is set in a time where there was no king. The author wants us to know that to this man and his family, God was king. It's the first thing we know from this story. To this family, God was king. This family was different from all the rest in the day. And this will become more evident as we look into their character and the character of their family. We're then introduced to Naomi, whose name means pleasant. And their two sons, Malon and Kilion, whose names mean sickly and pining, or sickly and depressed, as you would imagine, sickly and depressed probably were not common names then. We don't see them anywhere else in Scripture. Malon and Kilion, they marry the Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Because the women are from Moab, we don't know a whole lot about the language, but they think Orpah's name means stubborn and Ruth's name means friendship. God is then introduced into the narrative in verse 6. I hope you don't need an introduction to him. We don't have time for that. And lastly, we are introduced to Boaz, who is a family member of Elimelech. Boaz's name means, in him is strength. In him is strength. Some scholars think his name indicates that he was a mighty man of strength. But other scholars recognize the him in that meaning there. In him is strength as God. In God is strength. And I think in God is strength fits better with the pattern of Elimelech's clan having godly names. And it also fits better because Solomon named one of the pillars outside the temple Boaz. There was strength in Boaz and in the pillar, but that represented the greater strength behind them in the temple, in God himself. So Elimelech... God was king, and Boaz found his strength in God. In God was strength. Now, let's get into the narrative and draw out the characteristics of these individuals. If you're taking notes, you'll want to make two columns. In order to list these out, it's in your bulletin that way there. You can make a long list. That's fine. Either way is fine. But some of the characteristics are a little bit gender specific. So you can list the ones we're looking at for Elimelech and Boaz under one heading and the ones for Ruth under the other one because we're going to talk about these as they come up in the narrative. And if there's a couple you find that I don't touch on, just write those down. Okay, I'm not going to be able to comment on everything and You might find some, spot some that I didn't. So just to recap the beginning of chapter one, Elimelech takes his family to Moab so he can keep them alive during a time of famine. His two sons marry Moabite women. And sometime during that 10-year period, Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion, they all die. So Naomi, she hears that Yahweh has visited his people. There is now food in the land. So she takes her daughters-in-law, and they head back to Bethlehem. Then she implores them to return to their own land for their sake. She does this because she realizes that there will be little to no chance that they will ever marry again, and she wants them to have a future and a family. So she implores them to return to their own land for their sake. And after much encouragement for the women to turn back, we pick it up in chapter 1, verse 14. So chapter 1, verse 14, I'm going to read a few verses there. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, kissed her goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And she, Naomi, said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Here we begin to see the character of Ruth and the implied character of Elimelech's family. Ruth makes a statement that Naomi's God will be her God using the generic Hebrew word for God there, Elohim. Just the generic word for God. But then she goes on to clarify in verse 17 by using the personal name of Yahweh. The personal name of the Israelites' God, Yahweh. And this is really what indicates to us the godly character of Elimelech and his family. Ruth, claiming allegiance to Yahweh, tells us that Elimelech and his family, even though they went to a foreign land with pagan gods, they remained faithful to Yahweh. When the people in Israel were profaning the name of God and inciting his anger for their idolatry, here is a family preserving the name of Yahweh in a foreign land among foreign gods. Elimelech and his family were devoted to Yahweh. God was their king and they followed him. They were faithful to him. And this is apparent in the fact that Ruth has made Yahweh her God. No one in their right mind would claim a God that they knew nothing about or that the family that they loved was flippant or careless about him. No. Elimelech and his family were faithful to Yahweh, and that is what led Ruth to have faith in him as well. Here we see, and some of this is in the text, we see the implied character of Elimelech. Elimelech led his family well. We see him in here, and you can write these three things down, leading, providing, and protecting his family. Men, if you have ever wondered what your job is as a husband or a father, to boil it down into three words, it is to lead, provide, and protect. And here we see Elimelech doing all three If you're wondering what that looks like, Elimelech models that for us here. When Elimelech takes his family to Moab, we see leadership and provision being made. Elimelech sees that he cannot provide for his family where they are, so he takes the initiative and he moves them to Moab where he can provide for them. He takes the initiative to do that, to move his family where they will be provided for. And the fact that Elimelech's family stayed devoted to Yahweh It means that Elimelech led his family spiritually and he provided for them spiritually. There was no priesthood. There was no church for him to take his family to. He would have had to lead his family spiritually by himself. We also see that he protected his family. Not necessarily physical protection, but spiritual. And once again, this is made evident by the fact that his family remained devoted to Yahweh. He protected his family from idolatry in a foreign country. Men, this is one of your greatest challenges as well, to keep yourself and your family from idolatry. If you think idolatry is just bowing down to a formed statue, you are dangerously mistaken. Josh Ode preached a sermon on that several months ago. I implore you to go listen to that again. The great idol of our age is entertainment. Entertainment. And it's so easy to turn our brains off and be consumed with TV, sports, even books. Recreation. Yes, Coloradoans, if you live to play, then you live for the idol of recreation. And men, if you have not identified the idol in your life, the things that you struggle with, your weakness, you will not remain faithful. You will not protect yourself nor your family from it. So follow Elimelech's example here. Lead. Lead. Provide and protect your family, physically and spiritually, and especially protect yourself and them from idolatry. So we see this family. Elimelech was devoted to his God. This devotion is made evident in Ruth's life. Ruth now claims Yahweh as her God because she was taught about him. Because Naomi and Elimelech were faithful to him, And she saw the difference in their life as an example. And they led her to have faith in him as well. It is abundantly clear through Ruth's life, as we will see, that she knew Yahweh. She knew of his holiness and his faithfulness. This and only this explains Ruth's devotion to him and her character. Now, because of her faith and fear of Yahweh, Ruth, she would not be dissuaded from doing what she knew was right, which was taking care of her widowed mother-in-law. Ruth knew, probably because she was taught, that the responsibility fell to her to take care of Naomi, to provide and protect her now. Since the death of all the men in her family, it fell to her. This is a role she embraced, and she would not be dissuaded from Now, Yahweh was her king, and she was going to do what was right in his eyes by taking care of Naomi. She was going to take care of her mother-in-law, even if that meant sacrificing the opportunity for a family. That's why Naomi implored them to go back so they could have families. Chances are Ruth was in her late teens or 20s, even if it's the 30s. Imagine, ladies, those of you teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, How would you like to sacrifice the prospect of a future family to follow your widowed mother-in-law to her land? How would you like to do that? Don't miss the significance of Ruth's sacrifice here. She sacrificed the prospect of a family, a future, to follow Naomi, to take care of her. We would do good to follow her example and taking care of our family that's aging. Our pagan culture says that we should cast older people aside, that they are worthless, they've served their purpose in working through their life, that we should just house them in retirement homes and make sure that they're taken care of that way. But Ruth, she personally cares for Naomi. She made great sacrifice to care for her, and we should take note of that, and we should exemplify that in our lives, in our church, and taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. And we would do well to sacrifice far less for taking care of the elderly and our families in this congregation. So here we see Ruth loved sacrificially. You can write that down. She loved sacrificially. And not only was Ruth's sacrifice great and out of love, but she did it with joy. If she was doing it out of obligation and not love and joy, she would have returned when Naomi said, go back to your people. I'm releasing you from your obligation. Go back to your people. She would have left with Orpah, but she didn't. She stuck with Naomi because that was the right thing to do. Why did she do this? Because Yahweh was her king and she wanted to do what was right in his eyes. She wanted to please him. In three words, she feared God. And the fear of God is really the overarching characteristic on both these lists. All of these individuals lived in the way that they did because they feared God. They loved him and wanted to please him. And Ruth is specifically characterized here by a fear of God when she says, May Yahweh do so to me if I do not go with you. She knew what God wanted her to do, and she knew what God could do. She feared God. The fear of the Lord caused her to be the woman she was. The fear of the Lord made a great woman out of her. So let's pick it up in verse 19 where we left off. The two of them went on their way until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? The whole town was stirred because of them. The news of Naomi's return with Ruth had spread faster than the juiciest rumor through the rumor mill. Everyone was talking about it. This implies that Naomi or Elimelech's family was well known. And I scarcely think they were well known for their importance or their wealth because if they were important or wealthy people, they would not have been the ones to leave during the famine. But I believe they were well known for their godliness. Just as Elimelech's clan, Elimelech's family was still known for their godliness, as we'll see when we get into Boaz. The town was not just stirred because of the return of Naomi, but because of Ruth as well. And as we'll see later, Ruth's godliness was what everyone was also talking about. So pick it up in verse 22. So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So that just summarizes the chapter. It's not out of place. It just summarizes the chapter for us. They go back to Bethlehem. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Just to clarify, neither Ruth nor Naomi are aware of Boaz at this time in the narrative. Rather, the narrator has chosen to introduce him before he comes up in the storyline. Boaz is introduced to us as a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech, and he is described as a worthy man. I don't particularly like the ESV translation of this verse because in the Hebrew, there are two words used to describe worthy there. Okay, those two words. Hebrew words are gibber and hayil. And they are very close in meaning, and so many English translations just combine them into one word. But that could also be translated as a champion of great strength, or a great rich man, or, and I think this catches the sense of the text, an upright, noble man of virtue. And I think the HCSB version, if you have one of those, this catches the sense of it. It reads like this, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. So just as chapter 1 opens with a setting in the introduction to Elimelech, a godly man who God was his king, chapter 2 opens with a righteous man who was designated as worthy. He was an upright, virtuous man. A man with a double portion of godly character, you could say. Boaz is described here as a righteous man. Righteousness characterized Boaz. He was characterized by a righteous life. You can add that to your list. He was characterized by righteousness. He did what was right in God's eyes. So we see Boaz as a virtuous, godly man in spiritually dark days. He withstood the pressure of society to forsake Yahweh, to serve idols, serve self, self self-indulgence. He remained faithful to do what was right in God's eyes when everyone around him was doing whatever they wanted, whatever was right in their own eyes. So picking it up in chapter two, verse two, "'And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "'Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain "'after him in whose side I shall find favor.' "'And she said to her, "'Go, my daughter,' Stop there for a moment. Here we see Ruth, all the men in her family have perished. She's taking now the initiative to lead, provide for her mother-in-law, Naomi. She doesn't wait around, sitting on her thumbs, hoping that God will give her a vision for what to do, some divine vision so she knows what to do. She just does the common sense thing. She gets up and she goes out to work to find some way to provide for Naomi. Verse 3. She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she had happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, "Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers." So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. What characteristic did the young man in charge take note of in Ruth? Her hard work. He said she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Ruth was a hard-working young woman. She showed up to glean in the fields and she wasn't messing around. She wasn't just there to get a handful of food to satisfy herself for the day. She was there to provide for her family. She was there to glean after the reapers. Gleaning was hard work, folks. She would have followed these guys around harvesting grain, just picking up the scraps that they dropped. This would be like trying to Feed your family off of the scraps from someone else's table that fall on the floor. Now, mothers, I know that sometimes you feel like your kids drop a lot of food. You're cleaning that up constantly, but that would not be very much if you were trying to feed your family off of it. That's what she's trying to do here. It would have been tedious and hard and, quite frankly, not very productive, but she was steadfast and enduring in her hard work. And moms, you can especially appreciate this if you have young children working hard at laundry, cleaning your house when it seems like nothing gets done because your kids come behind you like a whirlwind and destroy everything in your wake. Follow Ruth's example of being steadfast and enduring in those tedious and seemingly unproductive tasks because even if no one else takes notice of it, your Father in heaven sees and He is pleased. But we all have tedious, seemingly unproductive things that we have to do. We need to be steadfast in those and glorify God because God is glorified when we work hard. And we need to be especially diligent to work hard because the world is watching. They will take notice of those things we do. And they will especially take notice if we do them with joy as Ruth did. So Ruth, she took the initiative, she worked hard, and I wanted to wait to bring this to your attention until after we had seen some of Ruth's character. But there are so many parallels between Ruth and the Proverbs 31 woman. We don't have time to look at those parallels, but that would be a good study for any of you to do. Some have, in fact, proposed theories that Ruth is the woman represented in Proverbs 31. She was, after all, the great-grandmother of David, and that could have been passed down Uh, which was recorded in the book of Proverbs, which we now have. Uh, We don't know for sure, but there are many parallels there. She stands right next to the Proverbs 31 woman as an example. Ruth was a hardworking woman. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Here we see Boaz following suit with Elimelech and providing and protecting women. Boaz provided a safe place for young women to work. And if you read through the book of Judges, you can appreciate that more. He went out of his way to make sure the young men did nothing to violate the women. And men, especially husbands, take note that Boaz recognizes Ruth for her tedious hard work, and he encourages her. Two things we see here. We see Boaz recognizing Ruth. and We also see a gratitude in Boaz. We see recognition and gratitude in him. Recognition and gratitude, those are just a couple of the things um, I feel that Travis has taught me well since he's been here. Um, And I think the elders would agree that Travis has taught us how to better recognize people for the hard work that they do, that it's good and it's right to lift those people up and recognize them. Boaz does the same thing here. We ought to do the same thing in recognizing people and showing gratitude to them, especially husbands with your wives and wives with your husbands. It's essential. So recognition and gratitude. Boaz also shows humility here. Here's the guy in charge, and he condescends to commend a stranger who isn't even a servant, isn't even one of his servants. She's not a paid worker. So we see great humility in Boaz as well. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? What humility and gratitude on her part, right? Here we see humility and gratitude met by humility and gratitude. Condescension met by humility and gratitude. Major gospel stuff in these verses, but that's not the focus. So write those down and let's keep moving. Verse 11 But Boaz answered her All that you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. And the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now there's something in these verses which speaks to Ruth's great faith, and it's often glossed over and missed entirely. Verse 11 says, All you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know. Does this phrase sound familiar? Left father, mother, native land, came to a people you did not know, a land you did not know? Leaving her native land or family, friends, leaving her gods behind? Ruth is connected here as following in the footsteps of Abraham. In Genesis twelve one, God called Abraham, then Abram, to leave his family, his land, and his gods behind to follow Yahweh. Ruth did the same thing. She was following in the footsteps of Abraham. And that verse may be missed by many of us, but the Jews were so familiar with the story of Abraham that they would have not have missed that connection. Quite the young lady here who stands as we look in Scripture with the Proverbs 31 woman and Abraham. Quite the young woman. Ruth was willing to sacrifice her future so she could take care of her mother-in-law because she had faith like Abraham. She was willing to sacrifice her future to do what God asked of her, just as Abraham was willing to sacrifice his future and Isaac to do what God asked of him. She had faith like Abraham. Ruth was characterized by great faith in Yahweh. The chapter continues on, just to summarize a little bit here, the chapter continues on with Ruth humbly thanking Boaz for his kind words. Boaz then fed her lunch at the mealtime along with the other hired workers. And after they went back to work, Boaz instructed his reapers to pull out stalks from the bundles so she could pick those up. What generosity, right? Those are his prophets right there. Tells him to throw them on the ground for her. The text says that Ruth worked until evening, probably at least a 12-hour day, and then she beat out what she had gleaned. To beat out what she had gleaned, she would have had to break the edible part of the barley out of its husk. I actually saw this being done in Haiti by hand when I was there. They put the harvested barley on tarps. They had a stick with something on the end of it that they beat the barley with. This would break the husk off, and then a couple of the guys would grab the tarp, toss it in the air, and hopefully there was a breeze, and the chaff would hang in the air, and it would be carried away by the breeze, and you're left with what you take home for food. It was hard, tedious work, and Ruth did that after a 12-hour day. Then Ruth went home with an ephah of grain. Uh, That's about a five-gallon bucket full. And most of that was probably because Boaz's workers pulled out stuff from the stalks of grain for her to pick up. So she finished and headed home. She told Naomi all that had happened that day and she told her about Boaz and all that he had done for her. Let's pick up reading Naomi's response in verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they had finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Naomi immediately has a sense for what God has in store. She recognizes Boaz as a redeemer, and you can sense a change in her outlook on life. She begins to see that God is working on her behalf. Verse 23 summarizes the chapter for us. So she, Ruth, kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This passes about three months of time, as that's how long it took to harvest both the barley and the wheat. So the collecting of the barley and wheat is done. Now it's time to prepare the grain for storage, and this is where chapter 3 picks up. So let's start in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother in law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz a relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Naomi, in the last chapter, months before, had subtly, covertly suggested to Ruth that she stay in Boaz's field after she recognized him as a redeemer. Obviously, she didn't want her to be assaulted either, but she was no dummy. She saw two single people and she was just trying to get them together so they saw what she saw, right? (laughs) Typical woman there, right? Trying to get those two single people together. That disguised attempt had failed, so she had to blatantly tell Ruth, Boaz is a redeemer. Let him know you want to be redeemed. Naomi gives her some instructions on how to present herself to Boaz in a righteous manner and Ruth goes on her way to do it. Just a quick note before we read this. This is not a prescription for how we are to do things today, okay? This is just describing the humble way in which a woman would present herself, but this is not a prescription in Scripture for how things are to be done. And based on the character of the individuals, we can be assured that this was, in the day, a righteous practice. So Ruth follows Naomi's guidance. Let's pick it up in verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Stop there for a moment. Ruth is known even by the men of the town as a worthy woman. That is how she is known, as a woman of godly character. Beloved, that is how we ought to be known in our community. Ruth and Boaz were both renowned for their godliness, for their holiness, for being set apart from those around them. We should live lives like this. Like Daniel in his day, when people try to find something against us, they can't. The only thing they find against us is that we are faithful to Yahweh. We are faithful and devoted to our God. Righteousness is not to be a hidden characteristic in our life either. It should be apparent to all. Our righteousness should be known to all those around us. Our devotion to Yahweh should be just as apparent as our devotion to hard work and sacrifice. So Ruth was also characterized by righteousness and not one that was hidden from the eyes of the world. Verse 12, Boaz continues, And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Here we see that Boaz is not just concerned for the letter of the law, but he's also concerned for the spirit of the law. From the text, we don't get the sense that Boaz or this other redeemer who's mentioned, we don't get the sense that they are obligated by the law to redeem Ruth. But Boaz wants to go about the letter of the law. There's someone in line in front of him. Therefore, he wants to do what's right and give that man an opportunity. But Boaz is not just concerned about the letter of the law, he's concerned about the spirit of the law He's concerned about redeeming Ruth to perpetuate Elimelech's name and also to take care of the widowed. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for failing to abide by the spirit of the law. They wanted to live by the letter and get away with anything that wasn't in there. Boaz was concerned about doing what was right, not just not doing what was wrong. He wanted to do what was right, not just keep from doing what was wrong. And we would do good to have this level of concern for doing what is right in our own lives. This just further speaks to Boaz's righteousness. He had something down that the religious leaders of Jesus' day knew nothing about. Even though they knew this text. So be concerned about doing what is right. Not just keeping from doing what is wrong next verse 14 and 15 describe a very important principle for us today and if any of you are looking at your watch and you're thinking he's only in chapter 3 we're going to end with this one so don't worry verses 14 and 15 so she lay at his feet until the morning but arose before one could recognize another and he said let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor and he said bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went into the city. So why does Boaz rush her out of there? Is he trying to be deceptive here? If nothing immoral went on between them in the night, why try to rush her out the door? This is often the sentiment of our day. If you don't do anything wrong technically, you should be proud of it. So why did he do that? Look, if you live next door to one of the single men in our church, you're out doing yard work one morning and you see a young lady walking out of his house. Looks like she just rolled out of bed. What are you going to think? You're going to think immorality went on. And now you have to go through church discipline. You got to go confront him in his sin. It's just a lot of work. No, Boaz sent her... Away in the middle of the night. And this is the principle here. And I think this is paramount in our day. Those who are concerned about personal righteousness and holiness avoid even the appearance of unrighteousness. Those who are concerned about living a holy life avoid the appearance of unrighteousness. Boaz didn't want people to think he was even associated with an unrighteous act. Why is this important? Why shouldn't we make ourselves look cool to the world while remaining holy? Well, what is the point of living a godly life if you appear ungodly? Yes, you stand right before God in the sense that you haven't actually done those sins, but you destroy your reputation and you soil God's in the process. The person who is concerned about righteousness and personal holiness is concerned about God's glory first and therefore will avoid association with in the appearance of unrighteous acts. Let me say that again. The person who is concerned about personal holiness is concerned about God's glory first and therefore will avoid association with in the appearance of unrighteous acts. If you're wondering how to fit all that into your little list of characteristics... This is called being above reproach. Meaning there's no evidence against you. If someone brings charges, they can find nothing against you. Had Boaz not done that that day, there would have been evidence against his righteous life, against the God he served. He didn't want to be connected with anything unrighteous, so he sent her away before anyone recognized one another. So the fear of the Lord is the overarching characteristic which motivates God's people to live lives of righteousness. And I believe the culmination of the fear of the Lord is being above reproach. Being so concerned about God's reputation that you do not want to do things that might even appear unrighteous to some, even though there's nothing wrong with them. This is the level of concern for God's glory that I pray each and every one of us develops There are so many more characteristics in this text, but I want to finish with that one because I think it's so important in dark days like today to avoid looking like the world. We should sacrifice our freedom in certain things to be above reproach. And that is a noble work. So, let us go out in the dark day in which we live, in the dark world, and be obviously different, set apart, and holy, known for our godliness. So the whole world is gossiping about our godly lives, but not so people look at us, so people will be pointed to the saving grace of God, because we were all once wretched sinners who have been redeemed by the grace of God and been born again to live holy, set apart, different lives from those around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, that there are so many narratives of the Old Testament that we can look at who are such great examples, practical examples, of how we are to go about living our lives for you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you tell us what you require of us. But most importantly, Lord, I thank you that you have promised that if we come to you, we seek your strength, that you give it to us. Lord, help us remember that none of us can accomplish these things on our own. None of us can live holy, set-apart lives of our own accord. Help us to rely on you each and every day to live the way you want us to live, Lord, in a dark age that's only going to get darker, we pray that you make all of us in this church, all of the people in this country, in the world, stand out to those around them as Ruth and Boaz stood out to those around them. We thank you so much. We love you. Continue to give us the desire to please you by doing what is right.